How you doing, ladies and gentlemen? It's Michael C. Bouchard, the host of uh, the Night Stalker Podcast, episode 59. This episode is going to be a little different than our traditional uh, type of episodes, which deal with uh, unexplained disappearances, homicides, and other unexplained events. Um, this one's going to actually be entitled Mysterious Reappearances. And one might think, well, that's kind of a strange title, <clears throat> considering that the podcast really deals with unexplained disappearances or unsolved uh, homicide. But, like I've always said, and I'm sure I've said it in earlier uh, episodes. You know, people disappear for only one or two reasons. One is there's a criminal aspect involved. Or second, some people just walk out of one life and start another. It happens every day throughout the world. But yet we as people find it hard to believe that people will walk away from their families or their lives in general, good, bad, or indifferent. No matter how successful they are, no matter what their situations are, people sometimes just disappear. And like we've always explained about disappearances, you know, there's when a person uh, disappears or is murdered and there's no explanation or the, the homicide goes uh, unsolved, there's a multitude of victims, family members, friends, uh, aunts, uncles, relatives, sisters, brothers, <clears throat> that are a product of a person's disappearance or a homicide. But what if we change change the, uh, the game plan? What if instead of disappearing, what if we disappeared and returned? Well, a lot of people will say, well, <clears throat> it's kind of odd. You know, I've never really heard of that, but. It's actually a um, quite common occurrence. And what made me think about it was I had read a um, an article in uh, the Medium by uh, Cassandra O'Hara. And uh, it was entitled, <clears throat> Five People Who, Who Mysteriously Returned After Missing for Years. The cases were kind of unique. And I'm going to kind of give you a quick overview of them because what I'm told is any of the podcasts that go over usually 15, 20 minutes, uh, regardless of what information they keep, um, the listeners uh, kind of fade out after that. Um, Natasha Ryan, interesting one. Uh, 
she was missing from Rockhampton, uh, Queens, uh, Queensland. Not sure exactly where that is, but I'm, not, I'm sure it's not on this site. On uh, August 31st of uh, 1998, uh, Natasha's mother had dropped her off at school, but she never returned home. Uh, it was believed that, uh, well, first, it wasn't really taken very serious because, <clears throat> like a lot of, a lot of kids, Natasha was a habitual runaway. You know, every time you turn around, they ran away. And as in today's society, uh, they really don't want law enforcement getting involved in runaways anymore. So we really don't have, we take a report that they're missing or a report that they've returned. <clears throat> and unless we know that there's some criminal aspect to it, we... Uh, just usually let them uh, decide when they want to return. Um, so the police really didn't take it very seriously. Um, and unfortunately, that is a common occurrence in a lot of uh, well-known uh, disappearances, like uh, Lisa Joy White in Connecticut. You know, she was a runaway Um you know, so it, it was like, okay, well, she'll, she'll come back. Uh, she never did. <clears throat> it was also believed that Natasha, uh, it, po it was a possibility that she had run away with a 21-year-old boyfriend, Scott Black. Uh, Black was questioned, but it was determined that he did not know anything about Natasha's uh, disappearance. Uh, to complicate the problem, between 98 in 99, 10-year period, there had been several other females that had gone missing in Rockhampton. Uh, it became evident that uh, a serial killer had abducted and murdered these women. Uh, Natasha's family believed that she had been one of the victims. In uh, May of 1999, uh, Natasha was still missing. Uh, however, a man named uh, Leonard uh, John Frazier, who had uh, been arrested for the murder of a nine-year-old girl, uh, confessed to the, to the murder of uh, Natasha Ryan. Well, you find this common in a lot of cases. You know, when you have these individuals, a lot of them are attention seekers, they're arrested for a particular crime, they <clears throat> they claim that they killed a mass amount of people, they draw maps, this and that, and nothing is ever substantiated. Well, this was a case in Natasha, uh, Natasha's case with uh, Leonard John Frazier. He drew maps, <clears throat> nothing was ever found. Now, on April 11th, 2000, Three. During Frazier's uh, murder trial, it was announced that uh, and it was interesting because I believe it came through the uh, the prosecutor, state prosecutor uh, Paul Rutledge, informed the court that 
the night before, the, they conducted a raid <clears throat> on a family home and found uh, Natasha alive and well, hiding in a, I'm not sure what a cupboard is, but I'm going to say it's a closet. Uh, Natasha stated she voluntarily ran away with her boyfriend since 1998, but showed up to her own murder trial to testify that she had not, she had never met Frazier. You know, now, like I said, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. So you run away for 10, 10 years over 10 years your parents your family members everybody's living in a life of limbo because you wanted to run away from your with your boyfriend unbelievable i mean you know what just eh, you know some people are just not uh not gonna be working for nasa Stephen uh, Kubaki, February, February 78, 22-year-old Stephen Kubaki, a student at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, uh, on uh, February 20th, he went solo uh, on a, a cross-country skiing trip to uh, Saugatuck, a small town on the banks of Lake Michigan. When he had not arrived... They had sent out a search party. Um, strangely enough, they had found uh, his skis and backpack in an area that had already been searched. They also had found a set of footprints that trailed trailed off about 200 feet, 200 yards uh, in the snow that led to the edge of uh, the lake. The theory at that time was that he had possibly attempted to cross the water and drowned. It gets better. Fifteen months later, Stephen reportedly woke up 739 miles away from uh, where his uh, skis were found in a uh, field in uh, Pittsfield, Massachusetts. He had no recollection of what happened. Uh, or how he got to uh, Pittsfield, and it says he was dressed in unfamiliar clothes and was carrying a satchel filled with strange maps. Uh, and of course, I have to bring in that, of course, there's the, the Michigan Triangle, uh, which includes uh, UFOs and missing aircrafts and all that kind of nonsense. Uh, after being found in the field, uh, Stephen made uh, a 40-mile trek to his father's home and rang the doorbell. His father was shocked when he opened the door after 15 months. <clears throat> Stephen still claims he had no memory of the previous uh, months, stating that he, that the last uh, thing he remembers was a. Uh, starting out across uh, Lake Michigan. Um, yes, Steve, not going to believe the UFO thing. Uh, that's just as bad as uh, <clears throat> Roswell in Area 51. Okay, uh, yeah, just not just not buying it, Steve. Um, Tanya Koch, 
14-year-old time in college, attended Cor- Cornell Middle School in McKeeport, McKeeport, Pennsylvania, where she befriended a security guard. Okay, listen, nothing for nothing. That probably might not have been a good thing to do, especially since she was 38. On February 10th, 96, she went to this guy's house, older dude. Um, let me see, how much older dude was he? 94, 20 years old, older, 14, 38. Okay, little kind of weird things going on already with him. Um, he lived there with his parents and was uh, reported, reportedly locked her in the bathroom. Tanya was not allowed to leave the home for the first four years of captivity. She was forced to live in a second uh, store bedroom and had to use a bucket as a toilet. You know, I just I just have to sometimes wonder what uh, why some people breathe. I don't know. And uh, man, I don't want to go down that there. After several years. Um, Hose created a new identity for her, referring to her as Nikki Allen, and introduced her to his family as his girlfriend. Well, if he lived with his family, how the hell hadn't they figured it out in the last 10 years? I mean, Jesus, I mean, I, I don't get it. I mean, does nobody pay attention to what goes on in their house except for the living room where the TV is? Um... At this time, she freely uh, roamed the house. For the next six years, the, uh, on occasion, she, she was allowed to leave the house. She would uh, have to return by an exact time. Uh, after 10 years of captivity, she revealed her secret to the neighbor, which was a, a grocery store owner, called police. Tanya was returned home and later shared her experience in a book called Memoirs of a Milk Carton Kid. The Tanya Nicole Koch story. Um, you know, I want to say that this is hard to fathom, but it's really not. Um, you just have some weird, freaky people out there, you know? You really do. I mean, um, <clears throat> he's 38, he's living with his parents. Um, yeah, I should have been going a long time ago out of that house, but that might have told you a little bit of the story. Um, here's an interesting one. William Bates, August 1902. William Bates, uh, an American ophthalmologist, sent a letter to his wife while she was visiting her mother, which stated uh, he had been called out of the, uh, the town for some major operations. He's an ophthalmologist. Okay, it's 1902. I'm not really aware of them really doing eye surgery back then. Maybe they did, but... I just don't know how fathomable I believe that story to be. Um, after several days, uh, Bates reached out to family and friends in the U.S. and Europe to see if anyone had uh, any. Uh, his wife had, had reached out uh, to family and friends in Europe and uh, U.S. and Europe to see if anyone had uh, information about her husband. Finally, a letter arrived from Britain claiming that, the, that a man who fits Bates' description is working as a medical assistant at the Charing Cross Hospital in London. 
You know what surprises me? And maybe it's just me because nowadays emails go all over the place and nobody ever answers the damn thing. How do these people know who exactly to send letters to? And then when they figure that out, how do these people just randomly know where these people are hanging out? And that's that's kind of weird. I mean, you know, it's like, do we get them there? Do we stare out the window with binoculars watching people? Uh, it was interesting because prior to working at Charing Cross Hospital, Uh, he was actually admitted as a patient there. They don't say why, but um, kind of thinking if you were probably admitted as a patient for the psychological evaluation, why would you let him work in the hospital? Uh, Mrs. Bates, uh, his wife, uh, traveled to London anxious to see her husband. Unfortunately, her husband uh, had no recollection of his previous life and did not know her. He reportedly told her, I don't know why you bother, madam. We are strangers. Uh, as he pushes his girlfriend into the other room. Uh, Mrs. Bates <coughs> pursued him and, joined, uh, <coughs> and began staying with him at the Savoy Hotel. William was able to recall portions of his life. Oh, wait a minute. How was he re able to record portions of his life the sentence prior to that said he couldn't remember anything? I don't know. I'll figure that one out. Um, and here's a really interesting one that kind of tells me he was a nut. Uh, while he was working in New York, he was summoned to, a, to board a boat and perform an operation on someone with a, a brain abscess. Well, here's the problem. If he's an ophthalmologist, why is he doing brain surgery? Why the hell would you be doing it on a boat? It's not a very sta stable environment. Christ, you swing, you swing the blade one way, who the hell knows what you're cutting off? Um, Mrs. Bates planned on staying in London for as long as it took for her husband to recover. Uh, two days after, William staying with his wife at the Savoy Hotel, he disappeared once again. Imagine that. Bates spent the next few years actively searching for him in Europe and down down the American coast. She died in 1907, embracing a photo of her beloved husband. Well, okay, it gets a little more bizarre than that. In 1910, Dr. J.E. Kelly, a good friend of Bates, was passing through Grand Forks, North Dakota, in a town of 12,000 people. Kelly recognized a familiar face, William Bates, uh, <clears throat> had set up a small ophth ophthalmology uh, practice in the town, sometimes between when he was last seen in London and the current time, time he was uh, observed by Kelly. Kelly persuaded Bates into coming to New York and they went into practice together. Bates never regained his memories of his previous life. He didn't. He did, however, uh, serve as an attending physician at the Harlem Hospital and remarried. Well, 
and that's kind of odd because, you know, again, so you got the whole country of England, and somebody just randomly finds him, randomly sees him. He's hiding somewhere. He's hiding somewhere in some Grand Forks, North Dakota. And somebody just randomly happens to see him. The only real explanation for that is a smaller population density. Which was probably pretty much prevalent at that time. Um, let me see. The funny thing was, it says there was some speculation that his his mental state was somewhat unstable. Didn't read, didn't need to read the article to figure that one out. Um, he had also uh, this is where it's kind of really weird. There's some special, like I just said, some speculation that he was mentally mental state was somewhat compromised as he uh, compiled a medical-based book filled with misinformation and exaggerations regarding imperfect eyesight. Not surprising, but if he's working on in the ophthalmology field, why is he doing brain surgery? Interesting. Don't know that. And he's a doctor at uh, Harlem Hospital? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, This became known as the... Bates method and recommended potentially dangerous alternatives therapies to improve eyesight. He died in 1931. Which at that time, after 1931, uh, everybody's eyesight improved. Okay, let's get back to the last case. Uh, John Darwin. John Darwin was a uh, science and math teacher. Uh, lived in England. Him and his wife uh, also ran a business uh, renting bed sites. I'm going to say that's a bed and breakfast in the county of Durham. After purchasing two houses in uh, Seton Craw in 2000, the Darwins <clears throat> were swimming in debt. On uh, March 21st, 2002, Darwin was seen paddling his kayak out to sea. Okay, well, that was interesting. After failing to show up at work later that day, he was reported missing. A massive search took place. No sign of Darwin or trace of Darwin Darwin actually was ever found. Only a paddle belonging to his kayak. Darwin was presumed dead by uh, his, his wife, his son Anthony, and his son Mark. Unknown to anyone, and Darwin was actually alive and well. Oh, actually, I read it. I, I'm kind of going over some of my notes. Actually, Darwin, Darwin was actually alive, but we only know, that fact was only known to his wife, and he was temporarily living one of the the bed breakfasts next door to his family's home. Hmm. Okay, so that's a little weird. In uh, two th- 2006, the Darwin and his wife flew to Panama. There they were 
photographed by uh, <clears throat> Panamanian property agents. Not sure what that is. Uh, and return home to the UK to sell the family home. While John remained in Panama in 2007, the couple purchased a tropical estate in uh, Panama and planned to turn it into a hotel. Hmm. In September of that year, a police investigator began investigating uh, Darwin's uh, <clears throat> after a colleague overheard a conversation with uh, Darwin's wife about the uh, plot that both of them back to move back down to Panama. Uh, in 07, December 1st of 07, John Darwin walked into the Central Police, London Police Department station and said, I think I'm missing. Well, define missing, John. Uh, his idea was, his, his, uh, was that he would claim that he suffered from uh, amnesia to explain his disappearance for the last five years. Then was notified of Darwin's return. Uh, seemed completely surprised and overjoyed at the sight of her missing husband until they realized a year earlier they were both photographed together in Panama. 2008, John and uh, Ian were both convicted of fraud. John received an additional charge due to the state passport and was sentenced to six years and three months in prison. And received a six uh, six year six month sentence. The couple divorced, and now lead separate lives. So, <clears throat> the fact is, just because you disappear doesn't mean you're really gone. You're just somewhere else doing something else. So, it's kind of an interesting little change from people disappearing and never being found or people being murdered. <clears throat> no one being able to find the under the idea of the uh, murderers, but in this case, our missing people have all returned in one one form or the other. Um, but it happens; people just disappear on their own choice, and sometimes return on their choice, and sometimes, unfortunately, they are disappear for the wrong reasons <clears throat> and they just do not return until episode 60 this is uh, Michael C. Bouchard the host of the Night Stalker podcast and <clears throat> I will see you in the next episode